I heard about Carmen. The person that told me about it didn't know very much himself. So it was just a general concept, you know. As you sow, share you reap idea. Somehow at that time when I heard it, I just went, wow. So I started looking at my own life like, hmm, I got to change a lot of things because a lot of things I'm doing are not going to be good for me later. And of course, if it's not good for me, it's probably not good for others either. You're learning, hey, I got to be careful here. You know, life is serious stuff. It's not just fun and games and you just do whatever you want. Make your own rules because we don't make our own rules. We do, but we don't. We think we do, but we don't. People often say, what goes around comes around. But how does the law of karma actually work? And can I change my destiny or where I'm going in life? Welcome to the Breaking Trail podcast with me, Ruben, and my friend and teacher, Balakia. This is where you learn to navigate life's journey through ancient wisdom. Today's talk about karma. So happy to have you here and let's begin. So we are uh, changing backgrounds here, yeah? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. And uh, kind of in keeping with your mountain mood. <laughs> <laughs> but you do have real mountains. So, but, but I guess you live maybe, I mean, you have the sort of fake mountains behind you but i know that you have real mountains as well <laughs> oh we have very real mountains here <laughs> believe me <laughs> more real than here probably uh yeah i would think so <laughs> actually it's the uh beginning of the himalayan chain so yeah it's it's quite significant yeah <laughs> that's the Norwegian mountains are very you know mild they look kind of cool but they're not that high yeah yeah. yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> mountains are mountains, though. They say there's only one thing better than mountains, and that's more mountains. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So those of us who really appreciate the mountains, either place is good. No, I. that's one of the reasons that I moved to Norway, actually, was mountains. Yeah. Something in it. So People don't like them, but, you know, I personally like them a lot. Yeah, just, I guess it gives some kind of contrast to life. Like I lived in Colombia. I mean, now, now we're kind of going on a t off a tangent here, but <laughs> I was living in Colombia for a while and just, you know, one climate all the time it was just the Swedish summer all the time, 18 degrees, uh, cloudy, no change in weather. I mean, the, just like, I prefer it yeah. when it's some change. Variety, variety, variety. Yeah. And mountains are very stoic, you know, I mean, Nature's in general in the mode of goodness, but mountains are kind of like on the high end of the mode of goodness experience because it's so quiet and stoic. And that's why yogis go to the mountains when they want to go into solitude and, you know, go deep within. Whereas the beach, for instance, the water's always moving, there's a lot of action. Right. And that's, uh, of course, still mode of goodness, but it's it's more passionate goodness, you know. So if you look at the lifestyles of people that live in the mountains and live by the sea, people in the mountains are much more goodness-oriented than people at the sea, where all the action is and the discos and the, 
you know, and of course, that's in the only the resort areas of the sea. But the point is, it, it attracts passion, whereas mountain attracts more solitude and, and quietness and that's true. So on. Anyway, just like you say, off on a tangent, but that's a that's something. All right. Yeah, something I've observed over over years, spending a lot of time both in the mountains and by the sea, because I lived by the sea for years, you know, and surfed every day. And, you know, that was a whole nother mood. Then you go to the mountains and it's like, wow, just quiet and still and stoic, I think, is a very descriptive word. I guess maybe maybe many Norwegians won't understand that word, but I, I can understand approximately what you mean. At least yeah. I haven't heard that word before. Oh, really? Well, you can Google it. <laughs> Thank you. Wikipedia <laughs> will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so weak. Yeah. No, but um, we're going we're gonna to move from mountains to, to karma. We, um, and we were discussing, we've been sort of around the concept of karma. We've been discussing a lot of things. We were discussing death and uh, speaking how, how, how the karma is one thing that affects where you will be ending up after you die so but we figured that karma and reincarnation would might be a too big topic for this uh for this one podcast so i think we're going to just dive into karma for now um yeah could, could you please define karma for us balakia quickly so we know what we're talking about here well <clears throat> karma actually it means action that's that's the the definition of it it's, it's a sanskrit word and we have to also be informed that in the material world there are laws of material nature that govern the material world. And for instance, on planet Earth, there's the law of gravity. And so we're all under the control of the law of gravity, you know. And whether you believe it or not, it still controls us. You know, so for the skeptic, you know, there's no such thing as gravity, I don't believe it, then you can just ask the person to climb up to the top of the roof and jump off. And he experiences the reality of gravity, you know. So this is the idea. And so karma is one of the laws of material nature. No, it's not a matter of perception, but a matter of just reality. Yeah, it's, it's not a, a thought-up thing, like, oh, I, I think there is karma. You know, it, it's a reality, you know, that is one of the controlling factors on our lives. And so, as I said, it's, it's action. The word karma means action. So you could say the law of karma is the law of action. Mm. And you could also say it's the law of car, cause and effect. For every action, there's a reaction. Which is so Actually, I learned that in physics many years ago before I heard of karma. Right, right. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. You push one yeah. direction and it pushes like I push my table and the table pushes back. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or, you know, different scriptures talk about it. They describe it in slightly different ways, but it's the same idea. As you sow, so you reap, you know, or what goes around comes around. I think... I remember there was a song based on this idea, and it says everything you do is going to come back on you. Mm. Yeah. So that, that's the idea of karma. It's not like 
we're independent to do whatever we want, and nothing will happen as a result. You know, we are independent, and we can make our choices and do, quote, what we want, but there will be a repercussion. There will be a reaction to that activity. And that links pretty well to, I think a lot of people think about the question of destiny. If you, whether you create your own destiny or whether there's a predetermined destiny that you're destined to follow. Well, it's the same thing, really. Destiny is your karma. Your karma is your destiny. And we do create our destiny. We're creating our destiny right now for the future. But many people fail to understand that, you know, we are eternal spirit souls, and so we live in many different lifetimes, if you take a lifetime to indicate the period between birth and death. Mm. So now we're in this lifetime, meaning this sojourn in this body started, well, it actually starts at conception in the womb, and it will continue until I leave the body at what is called death, and then that will be described as our life. So if we're only in the body for five years, then they say, oh, we had a very short life. Mm. But if we're in the body for 100 years, then it will be declared, oh, he had a very long life, you see. But the soul is eternal, and these lives that we refer to are just temporary stopovers in a particular place at a particular time, and it's filled with a particular set of activities. So, in a previous life, or actually innumerable previous lives, we've been very active. So the soul is active by nature, and we've been very active. We can't not be active. You know, and this is verifiable by looking at any living entity, whether it's a tree or whether it's a bug or whether it's a human, and you're always going to find activity going on. See? Because the soul is present inside that particular body. So a tree looks like, oh, there's not much going on there. But of course, didn't we learn in botany in school or biology that, wow, there's so much going on in a tree, you know. Nutrition is drawn from the soil, and sap is rising, and growth is taking place, and photosynthesis is taking place at the leaves, and fruit is being produced, and whatever, whatever. Mm. Because there's an active person inside that body at that time, so now that soul is living a tree life. And so anyway... We could get involved in a lot of discussion there. but So when we take birth now in this particular lifetime, we're bringing with us the results of our previous activities. And so, therefore, that's why there's so much uh, seeming inequality just mm. at birth, you know. And it seems like, oh, it's so unfair yeah. You know, because this person is born crippled yeah. and this person is born perfectly healthy. That's not fair. Or this person is born into a rich family and this person is born in Somalia and has to struggle just to survive. 
you know, well, that's not fair. Or one, some person's born in one race, which happens to be discriminated against what is deemed as a superior race. You know, well, that's not fair. And, and on and on it goes. You have a baby who dies after, you know, one or two years old, hasn't even been able to experience the world or enjoy the world and just... Yeah, and so, so people think, well, there's, there's, there's no fairness here. Somebody's, you know, partial. And, yeah. of course, it ultimately, oftentimes leads back to God, you know. Mm. And so God is, is partial because he made this person suffer and this person have all the good times. You know, but if you understand the law of karma, then you understand that result is due to previous activities. See, so we take our birth where we do, at a particular place, at a particular time, to a certain set of parents, a certain father, a certain mother, we have certain siblings, all due to karma, you know. And so, indirectly, we choose all these things. You know, it's not like somewhere in the line, say, okay, I want to be born in Norway, and I want my mom to be this lady, and I want my dad to be this man, and, you know, I want Ruben to be my brother. And that's what I thought before, to just to, you know, that, that's, that's the way I thought that the, it worked, you know. <laughs> I'm the doer. Yeah. But if that were really true... Why would a person choose to be born in such a difficult situation? That's an obvious question. Yeah. You know, why would some person decide, okay, this lifetime I want to be born in Somalia, you know, where there's a war going on at the moment and, you know, I'll be racked with fear and I won't have enough to eat and, you know, I'll be on the verge of starvation, you know. Except, well, I mean, nobody would choose that. Well, there's, there's some people who say, <laughs> there's always where that argument comes in that you come here to learn. So that's great for you. You have all the suffering because you come here to learn. So now you have more to learn from. Yeah, but <laughs> that's not a viable argument because the person who's learning that lesson is trying to escape. Yeah. You know, stay there and learn your lesson. No, I want out of here. You know, I, I, I don't want to learn this lesson. You see? <laughs> And why is it that people are, are so upset? Why are people that are on a charitable, you know, agenda trying to help these people? Just leave them alone. Let them learn their lesson, yeah. you know. So anyway, hmm. many arguments can be presented to try to, you know, debunk the truth. But the truth is still true. And so reality is it's our karma, you know. And... and, and well, that's not perhaps a very, you know, many people who say, put it like this, many people who come to the idea of, of karma is saying that there's justice. They, they feel perhaps that um, it's not a very compassionate way of seeing it because they think that, okay, you, you have your karma, you just have your karma. And I, I, I don't even have to try to help you because you're reaping your karma and that's how it should be. And they feel that it's a very incompassionate way of seeing things. Well, that depends on the person who's who's heard about karma and is, is viewing the other person's situation. I mean, there's many people that are not compassionate at all and know nothing about karma. You know, they're just exploitative and they look down on the people who are suffering as just obstacles in society that need to be 
removed, and on and on it goes. You know, that's your problem. You take care of it. And it's not about karma. It's just because they're so self-centered, so hard-hearted. You know, so a person is compassionate, is compassionate whether he sees it a person suffering because of karma or he sees it, you know, from the way I just described. He just doesn't care, you know. Mm-hmm. So a part of the the understanding of life is, yeah, people are suffering, but we want to try to help those people. And rather trying to let them suffer and learn their lesson that way, try to educate them, you know, and make it so they're not acting in a certain way now. It's going to just continue the whole suffering scenario in the future. Mm. You know, wisen people up. You know, let people have another understanding of how to live. You know, there is a better way to live. And uh, so... Real compassion is is a condition of the heart. It's it's not a mental thing, you know. And like we were speaking about Buddhism, you know, a couple of weeks ago or whatever it was. And that's one of their main tenets is is, uh, compassion, you know, deep compassion, you know, for others. And it's it's part of the teaching. And it's part of the teaching of every, every source of truth, you know. We should have compassion. You know, that's why the great masters come into this world and try to help people, you know, both physically and spiritually. So, you know, like a hard-hearted person, no matter whether they know about karma or not, is still hard-hearted. Mm. So it's, it's, uh, it's just normal for an elevated person, conscious elevated person, uh, to care about people, you know, to to want to help them materially, but also spiritually, you know. And uh, that's the whole philosophy of bhakti yoga. And that's starting with trying to um, educate people or trying to give them the understanding by which they can come to determine themselves where they want to go, would you say? Yeah. Exactly. Just like this law of karma, when I first heard about it, I mean, it was many years ago. It was 1967, actually. I can remember the time, place, and circumstance. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I heard about karma, and the person that told me about it didn't know very much himself. So it was just a general concept, you know, as you so share, you reap idea. And I was raised a Christian, and I had heard that phrase from the Bible many times, but I never really paid much attention, you know. But somehow at that time when I heard it, I just went, wow. So I started looking at my own life like, hmm, I got to change a lot of things because a lot of things I'm doing are not going to be good for me later. And of course, if it's not good for me, it's probably not good for others either. You know, if we do something that's that good for ourselves, it's also simultaneously not going to be for good for other people. So anyway, I, I started, I actually started changing some things. You know, I quit doing this. I didn't do that. I was more careful about what I did, what I said, or and, and so on. It just made me a little more aware that I'm responsible for what I'm doing. You know, it... it 
it made it um, more a life of responsibility than a carefree life. Like, who cares? Do it. If you want to do it, do it. Don't mm. worry about it, you know. So that's the point. You know, a little education, and it doesn't really have to be much, can actually light a fire or make a person think or instill some consideration, you know, just like that. We, we were actually speaking about this yesterday. I just remember now one of my friends, Frank, he, he, he told a story about how he had, um, we were speaking about how we changed to a vegetarian diet. And I was telling my story that it's just very like gradual and very like hard to make it happen. But he said, once he heard about karma, and this is, yeah, he, you know, on, on that day, he just said, you know, I'm not going to eat meat <laughs> just from yeah. an like, intelligence point of view. Yeah, yeah. It took me a little while after that first hearing about karma to connect it with food. I didn't connect it right away. You know, it was a, maybe a year or two later when I started putting the whole picture together. Because, like I said, the person didn't have much information to, to give me. But if he had a said at that time, <clears throat> look, you know, this food you're eating is part of that picture, you know. And if, if you eat meat, then, you know, there's a lot more negative karma going to come back to you than if you eat just fruits and vegetables and so on. If he'd have said that, I would have taken very uh, strong consideration there. I'd have said, wow. I never thought of it, but thank you very much. But he didn't. So it took me a while of, you know, progression and reading and associating with people and so on to, to kind of start connecting the dots. Can you, I remember you told a story once about how, how that happened to you. You were, ser you were serving, still serving, you were working in a restaurant and working with, I don't you remember? Yeah, I remember very well. <laughs> Yeah, I had been, by that time, well, I, I was working as a waiter in a steakhouse. And so when I started that job, and I'd been a waiter previously some years, I paid my way through university waiting tables and so on. So it allowed me all day to surf, and then at night I worked as a waiter, and I made enough money to support my lifestyle. And I, was, I wasn't a vegetarian. You know, and then, you know, gradually by reading more books and, you know, listening to some things about yoga and so on, I started going, hmm. And also I, I went to a lecture given by a, a food guru. You know, at that time he was high up on the list, Paul Bragg. He still got his books out there. He's long ago left the planet. But anyway, and he was, you know, very much promoting you know, a healthy diet, and it did not include meat. And so I was always interested in health. And so anyway, gradually, I became a vegetarian while working at the steakhouse. And they had an elaborate salad bar as part of the menu. And so I could eat from the salad bar. And I mean, it was full tilt, you know, with all the avocados and all the good things you could eat. When was this? I mean, that's unusual for a restaurant now. Oh, that was 60, late 67 when I started it. Or actually, yeah, 67, 68. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, 
I became a vegetarian and strict vegetarian and was loving it. But at the same time, I'm serving all these, you know, meat-based dinners to the customers. You know, the sizzling steaks and the filet mignons and the lobster tails and whatever. And uh, so as I would be giving the person their dinner, okay, sir, here is your sizzling platter, I'd be thinking, if that guy knew how much karma he was getting from eating that, then he probably wouldn't eat it. And so I'm feeling quite high on the horse, you know. I'm in in an elite group, and I'm kind of looking down at this guy. And so this went on for some time. And then I, you know, got more involved in my spiritual practices and moved to an outer island in Hawaii, Kauai. And after some time, now I'm fruitarian. I don't even eat vegetables hardly and no breads and whatever. I mean, just really narrowed it down to some At that select time, yeah. foods. <laughs> but it was a perfect place, you know, Hawaii, and it was all growing in our yard and surrounding mm. forest. It was free and, you know, it was fantastic, you know, the best organic tropical fruit you could eat. Oh. So anyway, I met my spiritual master after some months of that and uh, maybe a year of that. And he asked me what I did, and I told him, well, once in a while I go to Oahu and I uh, go to this restaurant where I used to work and I give the waiters a night off and I work and it makes me a little bit of money. And uh, that was once a month. So I had to go. Anyway, it's a long story. I was in the Coast Guard and I had to go there for meetings. But he said, oh, wait a minute. And he went and got one of the, the Bhakti Yoga scriptures, Shrimad Bhagavatam. And then he came back and he opened it up to a certain passage and he said, here, read this. You know, and it explained that, you know, those who are involved in the animal killing in any way, whether you, you know, raise the animal, sell the animal for meat, uh, transport it, cook it, buy it, cook it, or serve it, you're equally karmically responsible. Hmm. And I just went, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, because I was... You know, worried about this guy getting his karma for eating one steak, and I was serving, you know, however many every night, 25, 30, whatever. I was getting the karma for all that. And so I never went in that restaurant again, you know. I never <laughs> – I learned really quick because I was receptive. I understood, yeah, you know, this is the next level of understanding. And, you know, I thank my spirit master at that he wasn't my spiritual master at that moment. I just met him. You know, it was brand new. But very quickly I understood this person knows what I need to know, you know, and he's the the person who can teach me what I need to know. And so that's been going on since that point. So what are those teachings? Can you share, like, what? Because I think that's an easy way to for us to understand karma in a better way with that practical viewpoint from food. Well... Yeah, uh, you know, we all got to eat, right? I mean, that's just the way the body is designed. And certain bodies are designed to eat certain foods. So if you look at different uh, species of animals, the tigers, the lions, the carnivores, their body is designed to eat meat, and that's perfect for them. 
you know, their teeth, their digestive tract, their claws, everything is equipped for that diet. And they're very healthy as a result. But if you look at a koala bear, his body is designed to eat eucalyptus leaves. You see, it's a very different design. And therefore, a designated food for him is not going to work for other species. And therefore, he lives in a certain area where there's eucalyptus trees growing. And the lion lives in a place where there's an abundance of, you know, zebras and the different water buffaloes and things that he eats to support his lifestyle. When it comes to human, now we're evolved to a much higher level than the animals, you know. And our body is different. It's not the same, you know. We're evolved physically, but we're also evolved mentally, and we're evolved intellectually. So the diet for humans is a vegetarian diet, you know. It's a mode of goodness diet. It does not, in kill, it does not involve killing animals, you know. The human body is designed, if you look at the teeth, the digestive system, the whole structure of the intestines and what is required, you know, the fiber and all the things to move, you know, the food through the system. All that comes from vegetables, you know. And, and the fat proportion is right. Everything is right. You know, the, the minerals and the vitamins and so on from fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and grains is perfect for the human form. And it nourishes the brain as well, you know. And it includes dairy products, which some people will, you know, have some argument about. But we're following the Vedic teaching, and Ayurveda medicine is one of the—I won't say one. I'd say it is the most authoritative medicine system of all because it's coming from these ancient Vedic scriptures. It's been passed down through Ayurvedic masters since time immemorial, really. You know, and so dairy is supported, and it's, you know, described why, and it's, there's a lot of information about how to use dairy, which a lot of people that use dairy have no idea about. So the, the misuse of dairy products can cause physical problems, you know. But anyway, that's another long story. So if we learn these things, then we become by nature of the diet, more compassionate. You know, so you're more ethically concerned about another animal. You don't want to kill a cow just to satisfy your tongue. You don't need to. You know, the lower forms of life, the, the plants and the, and the fruits and so on. You know, they're living entities and they must be killed too, but the suffering is much reduced. Their awareness, they're more covered their awareness is, is lower, et cetera, you know. Yeah, they're aware, but not on the same level as a cow, for instance. The cow tries to run away, whereas the plant does not, and, mm. and so on and so on. And, of course, now the whole idea of climate change and everything is just a confirmation that a vegetarian diet is better. You know, I mean, 52% of greenhouse gases, according to recent studies, are from the animal food industry. You know, well, if everybody's a vegetarian, you've reduced it 52%, you know. And cows, they produce the dairy products, but if they're treated properly, you know, 
they're, they're always talking about cow farts, right? <laughs> yeah. <that's... laughs> you know, methane gas from the cows. You know why it's such a big problem? Because they feed them corn. You know, cows are not designed to eat corn. They're designed to eat grass. They're designed to drink fresh water from streams. And all of that makes their digestion work properly. Yeah, there may be some methane release, but it's nothing like the way they're now put in feedlots and, you know, fed food that they shouldn't even be eating. And and the whole, look at a person, a human. If he's the wrong food, he has a lot of gas, right? I was just going to say, I don't know if it's me saying, but... <laughs> but <laughs> you know, it's just how it is. You don't eat a right, the right diet for your constitution, you're going to have a lot of problem with gas. Well, look at the cows, and there's millions and millions of cows in feedlots waiting to be slaughtered. Mm. You know, and they're given... So don't blame the cows. Mm. Blame us who are misusing the cows. And the karma from all of that is huge. You know, individually, collectively, you know. And, and people can't connect it. They won't accept it. This is, this is unfortunate because they can't accept that how we as the human species act has the biggest impact on the planet. Yeah. No, because it, you have to change. And that's a hard thing. You can, I mean, karma is easy to accept in a it's perspective where, you know, it's kind of like a, yeah, I just do good deeds and I have compassion for my neighbor. But when you have to change things and you have to start eating a different way or you don't have to, but you know what I mean? It, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. People, <laughs> people don't want to change. You know, I like no. it the way it is, you know, or so what? I don't care. I'm going to eat it anyway. You know, I'm not going to change. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. And, and it, 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 it bleeds out, if you will, or it expands to many different aspects of, of society rather than just, you know, the health and, and so on. I mean, you know, my spiritual master, Bhaktivedanta Swami, he made a comment which was very, very revealing, I would say. He, it was during the time of the Vietnam War when he was in America and he said, as long as there's slaughterhouses in places like Chicago— there will also be slaughterhouses in places like Vietnam, you know. Mm -hmm. In other words, we don't connect that our eating meat, especially cows, but other, you know, animals as well, has anything to do with the wars, has anything to do with, you know, the shortage of rain and this and that, and on and on it goes. See, they, they, they can't accept that, we have a big responsibility of humans for not only our well-being, but the well-being of all other species on the planet, you know. So to satisfy our desire for meat, we cut down the rainforest, which are the lungs of the planet, you know, and, you know, graze cattle on that, you know, land is not supposed to be barren. Now it's supposed to have all these lush tropical you know, jungle, basically, and it, it just is depleted in almost no time, and then it's just worth nothing. And But who cares, because, you know, there's good money here. You know, and, and how many species go extinct, you know, every hour or every day? I, there's figures I don't have in my fingertips right now because of all this. But again, 
basically we don't care, you know. It's just as long as I got my little life as I wanted, I'm I'm fine with that. Mm. So I, but I I do. So the people who might listen to this, see this, are probably people who do um, care. Well, so let's say that we are someone who cares. What can you do about it? <laughs> That's a big question. Well, you can't do much about what everybody else does. I mean, to a degree, you can try to join activist groups and, you know, or plant trees or whatever. But really, first, we got to change ourselves. You know, the individual has to change his self, his, his ideas, his outlooks, his vision, his consciousness, and his practical way of living, you know. And a lot of times compassion for animals is so selective. You know, maybe we're, you know, very attached to the idea of, you know, killing seals is bad. You know, don't kill the baby seals for their fur. So we may support Greenpeace, or we may even be joining Greenpeace and going and protecting the seals from the seal hunters. But that morning before we went out to protect them, maybe we had bacon and eggs for breakfast, you know, and a steak that night when we come home. So don't kill the seals, but it's okay to kill the cows, you know. And so, again, it's it's just more sentimental-based than real compassion for living entities and not wanting to see anyone suffer, you know. So we have to, again, change our life and our understanding. And a unique thing is a vegetarian diet actually, you know, clears us of a lot of hard-heartedness and a lot of, you know, self-centeredness and makes it so I do feel more compassion for other living entities, you know. And Mm. if I feel compassion for other living entities, I can also more readily feel compassion for humans, you know, and want to help, you know, make their life better, et cetera. But but many times, in my experience at least, and this is, I, I think that maybe karma is seen as, well, if you are perhaps not a person who does have that compassion or, no, let, let me put it like this. I think that karma may be seen as a way to pay back to a person who's done you bad. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a, I was just Googling it about karma and I found a question. One of the main questions about karma was, will karma get my ex for hurting me? <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is, when your ex dumped you and hurt you, he or she created a lot of karma that they will have to pay for. Their karma and their actions will come back around and hurt them in the exact same way as they hurt you and when they dumped you. So, yes, karma will get your ex so hard that they won't even know what hit them. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> and it, it's true. The answer is correct. But again, you know, we shouldn't use the law of karma in a vindicative way, you know. We're going to get you through karma, you know. It's it's true. I mean, everything you do is going to come back on you. But we don't want to have that envy or that, you know, that jealousy or that hate, you know, okay, you're going to suffer and I'm happy about it. You know? Yeah, you deserved it. 
You deserved it. Good on you, and I hope they double the karma. <laughs> you know? See, that, that's a certain hard mentality, hard heart that is against our well-being. It's just not good. It's not a good mindset. It's not a good way to be. You know, and so we want to try to be compassionate and forgive. You know, that's one of the main teachings of bhakti yoga is is forgiveness. You know, and but not only bhakti yoga. I mean, well, when I say bhakti yoga, you know, that should be understood as meaning the highest level of of spiritual perfection and love and compassion and mercy, etc. You know, it doesn't have to be under the label of bhakti or Christian or Hindu or whatever, Buddhism or, or whatever. It's just, you know, a higher consciousness that is based on a spiritual experience of love. So it said the essence of life is love and the essence of love is forgiveness. So if we are beginning to live a lifestyle that's, you know, cultivating that love, especially love for God, then accompanying that must be forgiveness. You know, I can't say I love God, but I want somebody to suffer because they did me wrong. You know, look at the, the perfect example of that is, you know, Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he was unjustly persecuted and so many horrendous ways, and yet at the very end, his last request to his father, the Lord, was, please forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They know not what they do. See, so to the end, he was asking that they be forgiven, indicating that he had already forgiven them, and he's appealing to the Lord to forgive them as well. You see, so... You know, again, we can use any truth in a correct way or an incorrect way. You know, what, what's uh, what what's the correct way to see karma? Uh, I, you know, we there's a there's there's a quote from the Yoga Sutras that I'd like to share, perhaps that is uh, giving us some. This is from Patanjali, Yoga Sutras uh, 2.15, and he says, To the discriminating yogi, all the fruits of past actions, both pleasurable and painful, are considered sorrowful because they all result in further bondage and suffering. Yeah, yeah. You know, as long as we have any karma, even if it's all good, and good luck on that, it means we still have to take another birth in the material world, in a material body, to get the rewards. Because good karma comes with rewards. So that means I'm still on the wheel of birth and death, and this is not where I, the spirit soul, should be. Our real home is in the spiritual world. So good karma ultimately is not good for the soul. See, it may be so good, I may have accumulated so many pious activities that I will actually take birth in a higher heavenly planet where life is, is so pleasurable that we can't even imagine it. When we read the descriptions in the, in the Vedic scriptures of life on higher heavenly planets, it's, 
It's like totally unbelievable because we have no experience of anything like that on this planet, see. But it's true, but it's still on the wheel of birth and death. And that's why Lord Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, from the highest planet in the universe, which is Brahma-loka, to the lowest planet, Patala-loka, all are places of misery of repeated birth and death. See? So, good karma, if understood in that way, is not a good thing. So, the, the real yogi understands that. So, the good times materially speaking, are not good. So that's why it says we must learn to tolerate happiness and distress. See, It's easy to, to accept the idea of tolerating distress. You know, that makes sense. But to tolerate happiness doesn't make sense to us who are trying to enjoy the world, and that's our whole goal, is to have as much happiness as possible. Yeah. And to say you should tolerate that, it's like going against everything that we... Th- thought was important. But if you transcend that material vision and have true spiritual vision, you understand it perfectly clear. So what you read from Patanjali is exactly that idea. You know, the true yogi who sees correctly, sees, yeah, good karma and bad karma as sad because it keeps us in the material world. And that's of birth, disease, old age, and death. And and that's the reason that that's the reason that you need to tolerate happiness. That still that kind of happiness will keep you in the material world. Yeah, yeah. And it disturbs the mind, doesn't it? I mean, it's also stated in Bhagavad Gita that a person cannot be truly tranquil, you know, truly peaceful as long as he's disturbed by the dualities of the material world. So one of those is happiness and distress. Happiness is a disturbing thing, too. Wow, it's so great. I'm going to go out and enjoy. You know, it's all like I want it to be. I'm disturbed by that. You know, I'm not peaceful. I'm agitated to the end, and the mode of passion is just, you know, fuel and... So on. I'm, I'm always a pleasure seeker, which is not really my true position, you see. So it's, it's not good. Well, how does know, it feel? Tr- no, go ahead. No, uh, how does it feel along with, uh, we spoke last week about satisfaction. Well, I, I mean, I think many perhaps wonder, isn't happiness a goal? It is. But it's it's not the happiness of the material world, the happiness of sense perception. See, and again in Bhagavad Gita in the second chapter, Lord Krishna says that you know happiness and distress come like the winter and the summer seasons, you know, and one they arise from sense perception of skiyana bharata, and one must learn to tolerate them. See. Sense perception, I'm perceiving this as happiness, I'm perceiving this as distress, see. But I must transcend the world of sense perception and know that happiness for the body and the mind is not satisfying the soul. That's what we were talking about last time. 
You know, there's, there's physical, mental, intellectual stimulation, which comes with a moniker of happiness. And then there's real happiness where the soul is satisfied in the loving relationship of service with the supreme soul. That is natural for the soul, and that is the goal. But if I'm always, you know, focusing on the temporary happiness of this world, I never reach that. I don't even understand that. You know, I, I can't go beyond the bright lights of, of material pleasure, you know, which isn't really pleasure, and it quickly the lights pale and the lights go out, and then I'm in the darkness of, you know, the misery. So... Well, the, Nobody can maintain a perfectly happy life in the material world. You even go to the heavenly planets. The, the formula for being qualified to reach the heavenly planets is the accumulation of a lot of pious activities. Those activities are described in the Vedic scripture. See, So you perform certain rules, regulations, rituals, worship various demigods in certain ways, in other words, it's a very regulated, prescribed procedure. This accumulates a lot of pious activities, and therefore when you take birth, you take birth on one of the higher heavenly planets, depending on a whole formula. But as soon as you've exhausted the results of your pious activities, you come back down to, to the middle planet, which planet Earth is one of those middle planets. You know, it's like if you work very hard and accumulate a lot of good points, you get to go to Hawaii. For, but when you use up all the points, okay, then you got to come back. You can, know? You, can you create for more points when you're in Hawaii? No, you come back here and create points. So, so it's not possible in those in, in Hawaii too. It's not possible to maintain yourself there and create no, new. No, no, no. You, you use them up and you come back. Yeah, that's the system. We don't make the system. Yeah, so. So, yeah. But a person just coming back to real basic stuff, if we accept there is a law of karma, that I'm responsible for my actions, then I have to learn what actions should be performed and what actions should not be performed. See? Let's just, let's just keep it on the basis of good and bad karma, see? Mm. Many times we don't even know what generates good karma and what generates bad karma. Because now, especially as things are being changed, you know, as far as what is good and what is bad, what's allowed, what is not allowed, what is okay, what is not, the whole, you know, paradigm has been changed and You know, things that are obviously not good are seen as good. Mm. So because the vast majority of people declare it to be fine, it's okay. In fact, it should be done. So therefore, unknowingly, we may be thinking we're doing the, the right thing, the good thing, when reality is it's creating so much future suffering. That's why we need to have a real authority, not, not an authority based on opinion, or feelings, or emotions, or sentiments, you know, but authority, you know, and it, that authority will tell us this is what should be done, this is what not should be done. Mm -hmm. 
So that's one thing that's stated again in Bhagavad Gita. You know, it talks about two natures, divine nature and demoniac nature. And divine nature is that nature of a person that is, <clears throat> it is based on Scripture. It's following Scripture. You know, and if you read the divine qualities, it's honesty and truthfulness and compassion and mercy and on and on the, the good qualities go, you know, non-attachment and on and on. And if you look at that list of qualities, you know, don't steal and all the moral principles included, you know, you can see, well, yeah, that's, that's going to be good for that person. It's going to be good for society if everybody had those qualities what a different world it would be. Mm. And then it describes the demoniac qualities, you know, of lust and anger and greed and jealousy and envy and et cetera, <clears throat> low moral principles and whatever, whatever, you know. And so that comes from a certain consciousness too. So it said that, you know, those in this demoniac consciousness, they do not know what should what is to be done and what is not to be done they just don't know what is to be done and what is not to be done so they wind up doing things that shouldn't be done which creates a lot of bad karma for them mm. but as i i mentioned before it's also not good for other people as well you know and so the the idea with a lot of people who have a lot of capabilities, let's say a person's highly learned in, in some science, the scientist, for instance, you know. And so the idea among many of these, I'm not saying all, but many is, it's not what should be done, but what can I do, see? Oh, we've discovered this. We can now do this. Yeah. But... Okay, you can do it, but should you do it? You know, is the result of your ability to do this a good thing for you, for other people, for society in general, for other living entities other than humans? Is it a good thing? Should you do it? And this is where the principles come in. I can do it, but I shouldn't do it, you know. And so that's not being promoted. That's not being taught. And, and nobody really knows these things unless we go to a real authority and debated scriptures, the true spiritual masters, and they can enlighten us and do that, you see. Yes, I can do many things, but I don't do it because it shouldn't be done. You know. But when uh, there was a person who was just writing about this, like when we on the topic of when we realize this, what we should do. And she says, when we're faced, quote, when we're faced with the truth of how we are and how we've been, and we can't see a reasonable way out of experiencing the unpleasant results in this lifetime, and we realize we're completely screwed, we can either grin and bear it with excruciating patience, which is not easy to do without extreme suffering. We can try to escape off the nearest tall bridge which won't work because we'll just be reborn in a, into a situation that brings us a similar experience. Or we can pray for a miracle. Aha. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, yeah. Since time immemorial, people have been trying to be atoned for their sins, right? 
Okay, I've committed a sin, but please, can I be excused? What atonement can I engage in? You know, and different, you know, religions or faith-based belief systems have different methods. You know, maybe I go to confession and I confess to a priest. Okay, I'm sinful. I did this and this and this. You know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, then he will say, well, that's not good, my son. You should do this and this to compensate for that, you know. Uh, the Vedic scriptures are filled with different atonements that a person can engage in to remove karma. You know, sin and karma is the same thing. You know, it's it's just a different way to say the same thing. I performed an action, it was a bad thing to do, and I'm going to suffer for it. Whether you call it bad karma or sin, it's the same. So, anyway, there are atonements, but the problem with just pursuing that direction or that solution is the thing that made me sin or do the bad acting in the first place is still there. The the desire to do that is still there. The heart's condition is the same. The consciousness is still the same. So I'm, I'm constantly, if we want to use the word sin, sinning and then working it off. Bad karma burn off the karma see so it's it's just like getting nowhere i'm spinning my wheels the example in the vedas is is given like the elephant the elephant goes into the stream and bathes very nicely they got a good good shower by the way you know hydraulic system (laughs) they can they can they can get very clean and sometimes even wash each other you know it's pretty cool but then the elephant comes out on the bank and rolls in the dirt or picks up dust in his trunk and blows it all over himself. So he, he's clean and then he's dirty again. You know, So that is not really a solution. We want a solution that actually does remove the karma but also purifies the heart. So therefore, my desires to be that same person that I always was has changed. Now I have a different motivation in what I choose to do, you see. And now you're making progress. And as we, that's the whole concept of bhakti yoga. You see, the mantras that we chant, they are purifying. They purify one of all karma. But at the same time, they purify the heart. So gradually that condition of heart and mind that made it so I did all those things has been purified and I don't do them anymore. See, I, I, I've lost my desire, or at least I've gained enough intelligence to know what should be done and what should not be done. And I'm very careful not to do it, continuing all along with the purification, which makes it so gradually I don't even want to do it. See, and, and that's, that's the progress that must be made. So that's why a bunch of rules and regulations in and of themselves really don't work. You know, okay, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Okay, I don't do it, I don't do it, but I want to do it. I want to do it, I want to do it, and eventually you will do it, you know? That's exactly how it was for me with the vegetarian diet, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you see. But if the heart is purified, now now how is it? Is it the same? Uh, nope. 
Oh, right. Why? Because now you've changed. Before you wanted to eat meat, and even though maybe you didn't, you really wanted to, and it was a kind of a struggle, you know, but now it's no struggle. In fact, it's the opposite. It's like you you probably, I don't know about you, but for me personally, I, I couldn't do it. I just wouldn't. Not only I wouldn't do it, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. You know? I've lost all attraction for that subject. And and I'm sure you yourself. So that's how it is in all different aspects of life, you know. And even if somehow you looked at some, you know, meat preparation you used to really like, and somewhere, somehow, it came out a little, you know, wow, I'd like to have that. Really, that's not who you are. And you go, no way, man, I'm not going to do that. The mind throws out a, a picture or a, a past, you know, remembrance, and you just go, forget that, you know. You're just, you're just not there anymore, you know. So it has, to, it, it has to be approached in this way. And then you'll be successful. And, yeah, along the way there's going to be some suffering, you know, and so on like that. But, again, isn't that the world we live in? I mean, there's always a lot of suffering, you know. And another, you know, example is, you know, I don't know if this person who asked the question has done this or not, but a lot of us have. We've been on cleansing diets. You know, you either fast or you you drink some herbal mixtures or, yeah. you know, certain cleansing foods. Like a detox. You know, to, to, to get the toxins out of your body, yeah, you know. You take enemas, you do all kinds of different things. And it's not a pleasant experience. And a lot of times you feel really bad. And in fact, going into it, you've been already informed, you know, you're going to feel bad. You're going to feel weak. You're probably going to have headaches. You know, your bowels are going to be disturbed and on and on, you know. And you do the, the cleanse, whatever it, it is. And those events take place as prescribed, I mean, as predicted, but now it's kind of like you're happy because you're, wow, it's working, you know? Because, you know, on the other end of that, there's going to be a good result. So the suffering or the discomfort is kind of like, in, in, a, in a sense, a joy because, wow, it's working. And, and after all this is over... I'm going to be a lot healthier, you know, and I'm going to feel better. So, you know, how's, when you, huh? How is that related to karma? You, you mean that? So, as you know, you you're experiencing this karma. You know, well, that's that much karma I'm working off. I don't have to deal with that again, you know, because I did it. I'm getting the result, and now that's done. It's not like, you know, it's it's worked off. And then you go on, and if you've adopted a new way of living, you're not going to just keep repeating that same story, you know, just like eating food. If you just cleanse yourself nicely and you're feeling good and you just go back and eat all the crap that caused the problem in the first place, that's not intelligent, you know. That's stupid. So, again, you're aware of what's going on. You're not really just you know, experiencing things and you don't know why and why me kind of thing. And, 
you know, I don't deserve this, and, you know, I'm being selected for punishment when I shouldn't be. No, you, you, you've gone past all that, you know. And, you know, you're learning, hey, I got to be careful here. You know, life is serious stuff. It's not just fun and games, and you just do whatever you want. Make your own rules, because we don't make our own rules. We do, but we don't. We think we do, but we don't. I guess because we, we, th we think that we do, but there is a supreme arrangement of things, how yeah. things are. Yeah, like, you know. It's like if I'm speeding down the highway at a, you know, 100, well, you guys are in kilometers, let's say 160 kilometers an hour, and the, and the law says 100 kilometers an hour, I can think, oh, by rules, I can do whatever I want, you know. But reality is there's a law above my law that says no. And when I get stopped, you know, I have to pay the price. You can do it, but it'll have a consequence. Yeah. So, the, and the more I learn those universal laws of conduct, then the more I know what to do, you know. If I know the speed limit's 100, and I know I'm going to get caught because the law of karma, you do get caught. Every time. It's not like the cop might not be there or the speed camera might be turned off for some reason. You know, I mean, that's not how it works in the law of karma. You know, we don't get away with anything. It's all known. It's all recorded. And, the, you know, the result will be as it should be. You know, everything is perfectly arranged and perfectly fair. Nobody's overpunished and nobody's underpunished. It's exactly fair. If See? you understand that we're spirit soul and we keep on existing after this life, after this life that you described is over, because yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. So, in that way, you know, we begin to see things properly, and it's described also in in the Vedic scriptures that. You know, a person who's actually elevated in this knowledge, you know, yogi, we'll, we'll call him an elevated yogi, when he is experiencing some suffering, he knows it's from his past activities, and he also is feeling, because of his humility, that, you know, actually, I deserve much more suffering than I'm receiving, but due to the mercy of the Lord, he's reduced it to an insignificant amount compared to what it should be. He's feeling like that, you know. I should be suffering much more, but due to the Lord's mercy, I'm only getting a small portion. That's a very different attitude than thinking, I'm getting so much more than I deserved, you know. You're so harsh. <laughs> yeah, I, I deserve so much more and I'm getting nothing. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. the other extreme. Mm -hmm. So... How, how do you come to such a state of mind? I mean, that's uh, that seems like an... <laughs> purification. Purification of the mind, purification of the heart. And again, that's, that's the method of bhakti yoga, you know. We're always uh, encouraging people to follow this process, you know, not because I or anybody is looking for, you know, big numbers, you know, oh, look how many people are on our team kind of thing. But because it's the life that is designated as the best possible way to live 
you know, for a person to actually become truly happy, truly satisfied, to go beyond the limitations of the material world, to actually experience true pleasure, you know, spiritual pleasure, love, etc., etc. And so in in this way we've we've transcended the law of karma. The law of karma only applies to activities of the material world. But in bhakti yoga, if I am acting in devotional service to the Supreme Lord, my action is not for me. I am not doing this for the result that I may achieve. I'm doing it for the pleasure of the Lord. I'm doing it under His expert teaching and guidance. Then there's no karma there. It's karma-free. See, it's not good karma. It's not bad karma. It's no karma, you know. And therefore, once a person begins to live in this way, see, a, de a life of devotional service to the Supreme Lord under the guidance of Scripture and the spiritual master, not, you know, oh, I think this and I think that. You know, it has to be, con you know, properly understood and guided and, and so on then he's not creating any karma. And that activity burns off previous karma. So from the time a person begins to live like this until he reaches the end of his term in this body, he's created no new karma. All previous karma has been removed. So therefore, when he leaves his body, he has no karma. So he doesn't have to take another birth to get any kind of results, good or bad because there's no results left. And now he has actually developed a relationship of love and devotion to the Supreme Lord. And that relationship takes him back to the spiritual world. Or at least he's in the hands of the Lord, and the Lord, if he's not quite perfectly complete, he still has some more to do, he will be given a birth in a very favorable situation for him to continue the journey to perfection. See, And what we gain spiritually by our endeavors, we don't lose at the time of death. What we gain materially by our endeavors, you know, money and fame and whatever it is, Elusive. we leave it all behind. We die and it's still here, but we're gone. See? But our spiritual assets are like an eternal bank account, and they just keep accumulating. So if I gain 10% in this life, my next lifetime, I will start with 10% in the bank. And if I gain another 40%, then I'll have 50%, etc., until I reach 100%. And then, you know... I can go back to the spiritual world. So there's nothing to lose. This, this endeavor is, is nothing to lose, you see. That's an example of how this truth, uh, how knowing that is very comforting. Yeah, this is the real positive, you know, thinking, if you will. You know, people say, oh, you're so negative. This is not negative. This is the only positive solution of all. This is a positive philosophy in every respect. You know. So, you know, we can talk a lot about, you know, 
that idea, but we're we're trying to stay on karma. So <clears throat> let's go back to food because that's a real relative thing to everybody. Yeah. Everybody's eating, you know, practically every day, many times, two, three times or more a day. Mm? Have to eat. Yeah. So as far as karma goes, even though I'm eating a pure, organic, you know, vegetarian or, or vegan diet, you know, <clears throat> I'm eating local, I'm eating in season, everything is according to the rules, you know, I'm still killing because I have to kill to eat. I have to kill the carrot. I have to cut the head off the cabbage. See, it's it's inevitable. I cannot live without killing because that's how the world is designed. So there's still karma there. It's way, way less than if I, you know, I'm eating meat, you know. The karma is so greatly reduced that, you know, it's... It almost doesn't exist compared to a meat-based diet, but it's still karma. It still keeps me on the wheel of birth and death. So then the question would be, all right, well, I won't eat carrots and vegetables. I'm just going to eat fruit because you don't have to kill the tree. You know, I'm just going to wait until the fruit falls off the tree because if I pick it, I might hurt the tree. So I'll just eat fruit from the ground. Hmm? Okay, but you got to walk over and pick up that fruit. And what about all those people you step on on the way? What about all those people living on that apple? What about the long guy living in the apple? <laughs> in other words, you, you, you can't think your way out of this. You know, we always like to be philosophers and mull the subject and, you know, come up with a brilliant solution. But you, it's not going to work. It doesn't work. So what do I do with that apple or the vegetables or the fruits or whatever it is that I'm eating, you know? I first offer them to the Lord as an offering of love before I eat them. This is the prescription in Bhagavad Gita. The Lord himself, Lord Sri Krishna says, He who offers me with love and devotion a leaf, a fruit, a flower, or a little water. I will accept it. When the Lord accepts our offering, and remember, the main ingredients were love and devotion. Mm. You see, when I offer it with as much love and devotion as I have, persons say, well, I don't have any love and devotion. Well, yes, probably true, and probably we don't either, to very much degree. But what we have, we use. If it's just an intention, I don't even know if you exist, God, but if you do, I want to offer you this. It can be that vague, but at least it's with what I have and what I know, I'm doing the best I can. Hmm? Look, the Lord knows our heart. He knows what we're trying to do. And so he is so merciful. I mean, he's the source of mercy. He's mercy personified. He accepts it. When the Lord accepts it, he removes, number one, all the karma. Number two, that food is no longer just food. It's now spiritually purified. He empowers that food with spiritual potency. So now there's no karma and there's positive spiritual potency in that apple. 
if I eat that apple, I'm not getting any karma, but I'm also being spiritually purified just by eating. We have to eat anyway. So if I'm doing this with the food, and it must be vegetarian food. It can't be meat. It can't be fish. It can't be eggs. He doesn't accept meat, fish, or eggs. It's actually offensive to try to offer meat, fish, and eggs to the Lord. See, We don't want to get into that category. But if it's vegetarian food stuff, like I've described, meat, uh, uh, nuts, seeds, grains, fruits, vegetables, dairy products, then I consume that out of necessity to keep the body alive, and I become spiritually purified. I, the spirit soul, am making spiritual progress simply by the act of eating. It's called prasadam. It's prasadam means mercy. It's the Lord's mercy. If I am feeling compassion for other people, I want to help somebody else on their spiritual journey. See, then I give them that apple. They eat it. They get spiritually purified, non-different than myself. And they don't know anything about it. They don't know this has been offered to God. and uh, They don't know anything. They just, oh, thank you very much, and they eat the apple. You know? And they don't have to know for it to have the effect. They don't know anything, you see. Why? Because the potency is there automatically. It works. Mm. If I give offered food to an animal, a dog, a cat, you know, a squirrel, any living entity, you know, even put it around the base of a tree, and eventually that will be absorbed by the tree. That person in that body will get spiritual benefit. I am helping that person spiritually. And this is real welfare work. I'm helping the well-being of that spirit soul on his journey back to the spiritual world. See? So I become a welfare worker on the highest level. And it actually helps purify my consciousness just thinking like that. See? So it, it's, it's another whole level of, of activity that, you know, is so beneficial. And, and the amazing thing about that, I'm, I'm going to just read a short quote from Srimad Bhagavatam. It's the first canto, second chapter, text 15. Uh, quote, With sword in hand, intelligent men cut through the labyrinthine labor in thine knots of reactionary work, karma, by remembering the Lord. Therefore, who will not pay attention to his message? And the idea is, if I don't understand it wrong, that you can do these things with, with everything, and that's what you would call karma yoga, isn't it? Yeah, you can do it with everything you do. Your work, your exercise routine, your food, you know, you're dealing with other people. Passing on this knowledge is, is so much, uh, it's, it's very pleasing to the Lord. You know, it's, it's so much benefit for everybody. You know, not only the person who's doing it, but the person who's receiving it. You know? and, and gradually we start thinking less and less about our own benefit. Oh, I'm going to get this good thing and that good thing. And we start thinking about the people we're trying to help, you know. That becomes the focus. And along the way, of course, you're going to get amazing benefit. You know, you're becoming more 
endeared to the Lord because you're helping his children, you know. And that's why this is described as the highest welfare work because you're actually helping the Lord's children to come to know and love their father, you know. Let's just use an example. Let's say you are a father, and you have a child out there in the world somewhere, and you've lost touch with your child. Your child has voluntarily, you know, kind of just renounced you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's wandering around, and he's suffering, and he's, you know, not having a good time. You know, and, and that pains you, of course. Somebody meets your son, and, you know, He's forgotten who you are. And so this person who meets your son actually knows you and knows that this is your son. And he actually helps your son physically. He takes him home, feeds him, gives him a shower, you know, clothes, whatever. See, and that's good. You're very appreciative of your friend for helping your son like that. I mean, there's no question. But then your friend tells your son, you know what? I know your father, you know, and I'm going to take you back and take you home. And he brings him to you. Now, that's on another whole level of appreciation of you toward that person who helped your son, you know. And, and that's the way it is with the Lord. I mean, the Lord is the supreme father. And, you know, those who are helping, you know, take care of his children, not only physically, but spiritually, and reintroducing them to him, you see, and helping them make the journey back. He describes in the 18th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, they're the most dear to me. You know, they're the yeah. most dear to me. That concept of remembering God is it's really amazing. Not, not in a sense, finding God, but remembering that lost relationship with your father. Yeah, remembering. Yeah, so that's why we have all this information about the Supreme Lord, you know. So we can remember Him. You know, we, we have something to remember. You know, the person who says there is no God, he has no, no person. To, yeah, how's he going to remember? He doesn't accept there even is a Supreme Person, you know. So it's increments. It starts where it starts, and it builds, and it, you know, maybe if you're just you're remembering that nature is God, which it is in an indirect way. I mean, he's the creator of nature. He's, he's the source of all the beauty of nature and the magical arrangement of nature and so on like that. And so a lot of people, you know, they, they think, well, you know, that's God. Nature is God. And they experience some, some amazing energy when they go into nature. They experience something very special, you know. And they're remembering like this. This is a beginning. This is an incremental step, you know, and, and it, it just builds and it goes on. And then you start thinking about, well, wow, you know, nature is so wonderful. There must be some amazing artists behind this. You look at the Northern Lights, for instance, and you just yeah. go, unbelievable. Yeah. People who've never seen the Northern Lights think the pictures of the Northern Lights are like fake you know, it's just like some guy made that up. I mean, come on, nobody could, 
you know, believe that's true. I'm going to make some video. I'm going to try to, I'm trying to <coughs> film it somehow, but I can do it with my iPhone, but I need, I need to get a good camera so I can film it. And then I'm going to show it on this, on this show to all the listeners yeah. and viewers out there. Because yeah, that's yeah. Amazing. But then you see that and it's another whole level. You're like, wow, whoever arranged this, I mean, the architect of this whole thing is, is a special bad guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's somebody special. Yeah. You know, and, and like I'm saying, you're just building on that, you know, and eventually you, you come into contact with, you know, these teachings in, in the Vedas, and it just goes into great detail about the Lord and his abode, and you meet the one who actually knows the Lord and, you know, is it's, it's experiencing these truths, and that is even a, another you know, amazing confirmation, and, and all this just gives you faith and 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 uh, strength and enthusiasm, and you just want to know more, and you want to go further, and you want to be a part of this, and you know, and you know, a lot of people in go into nature, like the mountaineers and and the true adventurers, will say again and again, many different ones from many different experiences. That when you're in this great expanse of nature, it humbles you so much. You feel so small, you know, in comparison to the grandeur, you know. And many times there'd be a picture of just one little guy on, on a mountain, you know. It's just like huge, you know, expanse of the nature, nature uh, wonder of nature around him. You know, and he says, I felt so humbled, you know. And it all is part of a program that's, that's changing things you know, in your life, you know, and yeah, it's all leading in a positive direction, you know. Step by step. Step by step, you know. So it's not like all at once, you gotta, it's all or nothing, you know, it's it's bit by bit, you know, and yeah. Is there a... Life is a puzzle, but every little piece of the puzzle that you put in to its proper place gives you a little better picture of the whole thing. Yeah. Is there something that you'd like to add, finally, or you feel that we've missed discuss, discussing? Well, you know, okay. the thing that really is uh, important if you want to, you know, really achieve the benefit is desire. You got a desire to want to de know these things. There has to be some inquisition here. There has to be some, you know, some some longing inside, some some internal impetus to pursue this, you know. And that's why somebody that tries to convert somebody else, it doesn't even want to be converted, you know, convince them, prove to them, and and intimidate them and threaten them basically with some kind of future damnation or whatever. It doesn't work, you know. That person has to have some desire. But if you take that apple, which I've referred to, and you give that to a person, that purifies that person a little bit. I've seen so many people over the years that weren't attracted to the philosophy at all. Even the chanting, yeah, it was all right, or maybe they didn't even like it at all. You see, but they like that cookie. They like those cakes. They, they like that delicious, you know, meal that, you know, they had. And after, you know, this, you know, some time later, 
they start becoming interested, you know. Or, wow, that same chanting that they had no attraction for becomes, wow, I kind of like that, you know. This is soothing or this, you know, this just, you know, has some attraction for me. I don't really know why. Or this food tastes so different than any other food. I've had people ask me, why is this food so much better than other food? You know, it's an invisible attraction there that, you know, they can't understand, but they feel, they experience. That's why we call it the bhakti yoga experience. You know, it's an experience. It's not just a philosophy. And we don't want people to just have a philosophy. We want everyone to have an experience, you know. And so this is what is necessary, you know. Gradually, gradually, gradually. You know, I had the desire to know these things. That's why when I heard it, it was just like, you know, ringing a bell, like the lights went off. I mean, like, wow, this is what I want to know, you know. And that was just my personal experience. Other people, they have some other motivation, you know. Maybe they're suffering and they just want some relief. But it doesn't matter, you know. It says whether you come to the Lord because of, you know, distress or, or lack of money or inquisitiveness or real searching for the truth, mm. you still come to the same place to get what you get, you know. You know, the, the, the Ganges River, I'm sure, you know, most people have heard of Mother Ganga, you know, the sacred river that, you know, basically purifies all of India as it runs through. And people go there and bathe, and, you know, the water is truly spiritual, and it does, you know, remove karma, and people go there and bathe regularly. And uh, anyway, there's a saying, if you're walking on the bank of the Ganges, whether you somebody comes and pushes you in, you slip and fall in, or you voluntarily go down and take a bath, you still get a bath in the Ganges. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah it's, it's a, that's how that's kind of how it works you know best is probably if people voluntarily want to jump in and we don't push them in to... <laughs> yeah yeah get in there right now no <laughs> no no especially you know, it's a beautiful river like flowing through yeah. Norway <laughs> so, yeah 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 yeah. Oh, sorry. What were you saying? It's uh, yeah. It's an amazing, it's an amazing journey, really. You know, it is. It's it's an amazing journey. So, we invite everybody to, you know, begin if you like, and you know, if we can help somehow, please allow us to do so. Great. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, let's have a let's have a chat if you have time, Valakia, to and to end this and have the experience. Yeah, yeah, let's do a little little sankirtan. One time we'll uh, we'll do more with uh, the meditation, like a a Garunga breathing session. Yeah, you know, to uh, you know, we talk about you know the meditations a lot, but you know. There's a lot of difference in talking and experiencing, so. But now we're going to do a very easy meditation called Sankirtan uh, with music. I'll play the guitar. The mantra is going to be very easy. Goranga Nitai Gore.
Runga Nidagor. So all you have to do is listen to what I chant and then just repeat. Oh, Runga. Everybody.
Okay, so that is Sankirtan. As you can see, it's very easy. Hold on a minute. Very easy and very enjoyable. Yeah. So, that's what we do. That's what we encourage other people to do. You know. And like I think we uh, stated, I don't know, one of the last things in a, one of our presentations is, you know, spiritual practice is not where the fun stops. It's where the fun starts. <laughs> it's a great thing to remember to, or, or to experience more, more perhaps. Yeah, to experience it. And uh, so our focus is not on karma. You know, our focus is not, oh, will this be good karma? Will this be bad karma? Our focus is on pleasing the Lord, you know, taking these practices of bhakti yoga, living by those practices, you know, on a regular basis, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's the focus, you know. It's not a salvationist focus. It's a, you know, focus of devotion. Let me be an instrument in your pleasure, in your service. So, yeah, karma is definitely real. We know about it. We respect it. We abide by it, but that's not the focus. That's going to be the last word in this little podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ruben, for uh, for being so uh, what hospitable, <laughs> inquisitive as well, <laughs> inquisitive. And we thank anyone who may be joining. Uh, thank you so much. Leave us your comments if you like. Yeah. You know, Do, uh, it's obvious we can't please everybody, but we're just trying to present these teachings. And mm -hmm. you know, for some people, it may be. You know, something they're anxious to know about. And if you are, um, well, Balakia, yeah, I would just like to pass on a message. If you are able to send, if if you know where in Srimad Bhagavatam you had this quote about he who transports the meat, I could find that. Oh, I can find it. I, I know where it is. I mean, I don't know in my head, but I can get it to you. Great. And um, Okay. It'll be in your Skype tomorrow. Or cool. tonight, who knows? Yeah, thank you very much. All right, thank you everybody. Namaste, Haribo. So thank you for listening in. I hope this was very inspiring to you and that you'd like to uh, just apply these teachings in your life and perhaps share this podcast with your friends and family. Now, uh, do check out our link tree to get access to Patreon where you can contribute to the podcast or YouTube to watch this video. And I hope to see you soon again. Remember to stay true to yourself and dare to break trail. Mm -hmm.